My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. study in uh, the book of Galatians. It's called Set Free, Live Free. Christ has set us free. Um, And uh, in Galatians, Paul is talking about that, how we have been set free in Christ. But he also talks about how we can live free as well. And that that relates to us so well, uh, especially those of us that are set free. If you're not set free in here, there's a way that you can be set free, and that's freedom in Christ. Um, and there is also a way that if you are set free, we are we have been called to live free, live in that freedom and not go back in bondage. And that's kind of what uh, this whole letter is about um, that Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. And uh, because they have been set free, but they're they're going back to bondage. They've been saved. They've given their lives to Christ, but they're going back to bondage. What do I mean by bondage? They're going back to living the law again. Some of them are going and putting themselves under the law. Some of them who were Gentiles, they were never under the law. They're being told that in order to really be a Christian, you have to follow the law and then you can become a Christian. So you have these people that Paul calls Judaizers that are coming in and they're basically saying, you have to become a Jew before you can really become a Christian. And they're doing a couple of things. They're trying to discredit Paul. They're trying to say, oh, he's not really an apostle. Paul wasn't really an apostle. He didn't walk with the apostles. He didn't, he wasn't commissioned as an apostle whenever the other apostles were. And so in this letter, we find Paul defending his uh, apostleship, but we also find him defending the gospel even more. And he wants them to understand that it's not by works that you are saved. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by doing things that you're saved. You're saved by grace alone. That's it. The only thing that you're saved by is grace alone. And so he dives into this book. Uh, We started last week, we went through uh, verses one through five, and we're going to read them together. And let's just be reminded of the things that he reminded them. This is just his cordial uh, introduction, if you will. All right. He he adds this to all of his letters. It's just his cordial introduction. Hey, it's me, Paul, and, uh, and, and in the name of Jesus, I come to you, right? So here we are in verse one. Uh, And this is what he says. And he he talks very intentional in this introduction, okay? He says some things he doesn't say other places. He says, this is Paul, an apostle, straight off the bat, right? An apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He's like, you said I wasn't an apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you that I am an apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, and God the Father who What's the next line? Raised him from the dead. I wasn't commissioned by a Jesus that walked and talked with the apostles while he was here on earth. I was commissioned by a resurrected Jesus, still Jesus. And so therefore my apostleship does stand. And he's going to get into more of that uh, later on in chapter one, which we won't get to today, but we will another time. And he says, and all the brothers who are with me, he says to the churches of Galatia, remember the churches of Galatia, uh, he had gone on a missionary journey, his first missionary journey, reached Galatia. There were four different regions that he went to. He preached the gospel there. They planted churches there. All right. And these are the people he's writing to because it's not just one church in Galatia. There are four churches that are being um, threatened from these Judaizers. And so he's writing to all of them. All right. And uh, so he says, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds this. He always says that. Grace to you, peace to you, from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what he adds to the church in Galatia. Let me just remind you, he says, of who Jesus Christ is, who gave himself for our sins. That means that there's nothing else in this world that can save you from your sins. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, for your sins. You can't do enough things to be saved. He died on the cross for your sins. It's not what you can do. And then he says to deliver us from the present evil age. And he says, according to the will of God, our father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's how he begins this letter. And that's what we talked about last week, pretty in depth. Um, and I'm sorry that didn't get recorded. We, uh, for some ra reason, ran out of room on the memory card. Letting you know, I bought a bigger memory card. So now we should be fine. Uh, so if you want to go back and catch some of the stuff, you can go back online and, and watch these things. All right. Um, so that's that's kind of his cordial opener that he has in basically uh, all his letters. And today we're going to kind of get into more of the intent of his letters. But uh, before we begin, I don't know about you guys. Um, I struggle uh, so much with um, pleasantries at the beginning of a conversation. Whenever you see somebody, you know, like you, you see somebody and all of a sudden they walk in and like, there, there are ways that you're supposed to act. It just doesn't come natural to me. All right. Like, I mean, you're supposed to be like excited and it's like, Oh, Hey, how's it? You know, I mean, I, if you walk in and you probably have seen this, you'll walk in and I'll just say something like, Hey, what's up? How's things? That's pretty much how I start the conversation. All right. And I, it's something I struggle with. I know that I need to work on that. I know that I should probably uh, do better at that. And I'm trying to learn a lesson. And I'll tell you who I'm looking at for this lesson. I'm looking at the women. Okay. Because they are extremely good at this. Extremely good at this. All right. It probably happened whenever you walked in this place today. But whenever a woman walks in the room and there's another woman already in the room, the pitch goes up automatically okay and somebody and it's like oh hey like you can see each other from across the thing right like girl how's it going and this whole thing happens and then all of a sudden you know and then everybody's excited it's like oh and then and then what follows is one of two things number one an acknowledgement of how they look and then you have to specifically say something that looks good all right so you have to specifically say it so it'll be something like hey you look adorable you look so good hey that where did you get that shirt that shirt is nice right and it always happens like i don't know if i can't really tell if girls really like their shirts or not or like it's just like hey look i want you to feel good about yourself and i know that whenever you put on your clothes today you probably knew you were going to see people and you probably specifically put your little outfit together because you knew people were going to see you and so you were kind of like, I don't want to look terrible. And so every girl goes through that. So every girl knows what every girl needs. All right. And so therefore they give that to them. Right. But I'm terrible at this. And, and I, I, I want to be able to this, but I just don't, I just don't think if Mike walks in the room, I'm going to look at him and be like, Hey, wow, dude, did you shave your head again? Man, incredible. What are you shining now with, man? I wish I could do that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it just wouldn't work. And, and I'll tell you what, my grandmother, my grandmother was the best, best at this. And see, I wish the grandma that I had on the phone was actually my grandma. Because the grandma that was on the phone was a lady I didn't know. Because whenever she was on the phone, she, we'd be at her house and she would be chasing us around with spoons. She'd be trying to like beat us with things. You know, my brother and I, we were 
we like to mess with our grandma. No lie, my, my brother would put my grandma in like a full Nelson just to like mess with her. Like just not like as a mean thing. Like we're just like, and then she'd be like, quit it, quit it, quit, you know? And, uh, and, and she would always say things like, if you don't stop, I'm going to like cloud up and storm all over you. Have, did anybody ever say that to you guys? Okay, well, I heard that regularly, all right? I'm gonna cloud up and storm all over you. And, uh, and so, you know, we, but, but, and she could be chasing us, she could have this mean sound, but when the phone rang, my grandma would pick it up, she'd be like, hello, <laughs> hello. And, and, and it would be like this person that I have no idea who this person is. But here's some things that I've learned, and I am, I'm trying to get better, because whenever I like send out a text message, I'm getting better, and if you've got a text from me, maybe you've, maybe you've noticed I'm getting better at this. And again, this isn't, this isn't like, like, I mean these things. It's just how my brain works. I'm not good at the small talk. Like I'm not, I'm like to the point kind of guy. Right. And maybe that's my Enneagram seven. Like I read it the other day and it was in my seven was like, if you want to send me an email, don't add extra things, just get to the point. Like that's, that's my, you know, if you're going to send me an email. And so, uh, so that's just the way I operate then. So whenever I'm going to send a text message, it's usually like, it pops in my mind, oh, the person, did they do the thing? So I'm like, get on my phone. I'm like, to the person, did you do the thing? Right? Maybe I hadn't talked to the person in five days, but I just wanted to, did you do the thing? And I hope they get it and go, oh, there's Greg. I did I do the thing. I did the thing. So I'm going to text back. I did the thing, right? But that's not how you're supposed to text people. And I've learned this because now I'm like, hey, did you do the thing? And then there's like a spirit check. And then I'm like, move the cursor to the front. And then I'm like, How's it going? Hope this finds you well. <laughs> you know, these are things that I have to add to my text message. Hey, I saw your thing on a social media the other day. Hilarious. <laughs> Anyways, did you do the thing? <laughs> right? And so like I have that's how I have to do things. And uh, and then uh, and then again, then you end with hope you guys are well. Uh, you know, whatever it is, right? And that's and that's what I have to add to the things. And that's a good thing. And let me just fill you guys in on something. This is free advice to you. This will help you in your relationships. It's something called the sandwich method, all right? The sandwich method, you guys know what it is? Some of you guys know what it is. You're like, yup. And, and if you know what the sandwich method is, then you know when someone's using the sandwich method on you, all right? So maybe I shouldn't tell you guys this, but I'm going to anyways, because this will help you in your relationship. Sandwich method, you've got the bread, you've got the meat, and then you've got the bread again. The bread is always the soft, fluffy stuff, the nice stuff. You say the things. Then you get to the meat of the conversation, okay? But you don't ever want to leave someone with the meat of the conversation because they feel insecure about things if that's going to happen. So then you also have to add the bread in the conversation as well at the end. You have the sandwich method. You're welcome. Next time you're having a conversation with somebody and you need to talk to somebody about something, bread, meat, follow it with some bread again, okay? Now, here's the thing. Yeah, we're like, come on. Everybody learned that, especially the twos in the room, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. Paul is usually really good about using the sandwich method, all right? He's usually really good about it. He's not so good about it right here. He, he, there, and this is what, this says something about the church in Galatia. Let me, let me just share with you some examples uh, that Paul has used in other books, all right? So he usually gives the cordial you know, thing, hey, Paul, an apostle, Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Uh, and then he usually gives some sort of bread. Like the Ephesians, this is what he tells the Ephesians. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. And if you're an Ephesian and you get that, you're like, thank you. 
so good. And so whenever he says something else, you're like, but I like this guy, you know, right? And then he goes on, like in Romans 1, he says this, first, first, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And if you're a Roman, you're a Christian, and you're part of that church at Rome, you're going, we are doing a pretty good job. We're sharing the guy. This is good. This is not, what do you got to say, Paul? Go ahead. Go ahead and say your thing. Even to 1 Corinthians. All right. Now, 1 Corinthians, let's, let's understand something about Corinth. Things were not going well at the church in Corinth. They were doing all kinds of terrible things. There was all kinds of sin that was entering into the church. And Paul had a lot of things to say to the church in Corinth in his first letter. All right. But in 1 Corinthians, he even, at least he tries, right? Now, mind you, it's like kind of vague, but at least he tries. He says in 1 Corinthians, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you're, if you're a Corinthian, you're like, that sounded nice, right? Because he, he basically just said, I always thank God to you because he saved you. I thank God for you because he saved you. There's not really saying anything nice about them, like at all. It's basically like if somebody walks up to you and they're like, out of all the people that I've ever met in the entire world, you are definitely one of them. <laughs> that is basically what he just told Corinth, but I'm pretty sure they walked away going, that's nice, you know, like uh, maybe. Philippians, he tells this to them. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Way to go, Philippians. First Thessalonians, we always thank God for all of you and we continually mention you in all our prayers. Thank you so much for, you know, to Paul, the Thessalonian church. But then he gets to Galatians. This is, this is his intro. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's his intro. That's his, there's no bread. He got straight to the meat. And why did he do that, right? Why in the world would he do that? Well, we're going to talk about it. So let's read uh, today's scripture in its entirety. This is verse six. We're going to read through six, nine. It says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So why no sandwich method? Why no sandwich method? I'll tell you why. It's because there is an urgency that Paul has to talk to them. He's not, he's not trying to get to it. He's trying, he's not trying to give them pleasantries. He's trying to get straight to the point because this false gospel has infiltrated the church and it's rapidly spreading like a wildfire in this church. He has no time to spare. There's no time for pleasantries. There's no time for the bread at the beginning of this. I've got to get you this message and I have to get you this message quick. I'm not a firefighter. I know one. Um, I've never, I've never done this. Cade backed me up before, uh, but I'm pretty sure that if there's a house that is on fire, okay, and there is a house next door in very close proximity, a firefighter doesn't go to the house next door, knock on the door of the house that's about to catch on fire, and when the people come to the door, I'm pretty sure they don't say, "I've, I'd first of all, great house." 
this house is fantastic. I mean, what is, what is this door? This door is solid. Is this all the whole way through wood? This, this Home Depot? Where'd you get this? Like, this is not what happens, okay? When a firefighter goes to the door, they are going to be banging on the door. When they come out, they're going to be saying, you need to get out of here now. Like you have got to get out of this house, the door, the house, and there's an urgency in their voice. There's no pleasantry in the voice either. Why? Because even your tone of voice says something. And so Paul's tone of voice here, he doesn't get super harsh. Well, he does sometimes, but he doesn't get super harsh all the time. But in this moment right here, he doesn't want a tone of voice that is like, oh, I thank my God for you every time. I like he doesn't want that. He has this tone of voice that is like, hey, this is a sense of urgency. And so he wants them to know what is going on because there is a fire spreading among the churches at Galatia and all Paul can think about is going in and getting them and pulling them out from this fire, okay? And extinguishing the fire. That's another thing that he's trying to do with this church, uh, it, with this letter to Galatia. And I love Paul because he's a fighter. Moms in this room, there are, there are many things someone can do to you personally and you'll be like, I mean, yeah, that hurts my feelings. That's fine. I wish you wouldn't have. But if somebody does something to your kids, you don't want to mess with that mom. Okay? That's just not something that you want to do. Let me tell you about a word real quick, and then we're going to talk about a scripture that has this word in it. I want to I I bring up the word contend. All right? Contend. Everybody say contend. Contend. All right? That word contend literally means to, and it's in scripture, to exert intense effort on behalf of something, to exert intense effort on behalf of something, to struggle for, to defend, to protect from harm. That's what that word contend means, all right? I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm flipping through the channel, there's just something that stops me in my tracks every single time, and that's whenever a cheetah is chasing a gazelle, or something is chasing something, and there's like something going to happen. There's gonna be something that, I know it's morbid, it's kind of weird, but if I'm flipping and it's like, Man, that like I, I just zone in, I lock in, right? And here's something incredible um, about animals. And here's something about incredible, just about even the nature of us as well. I will watch and 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 I'll be like, oh no, get away, gazelle. I'm always rooting for the prey. The predator, I'm like, you're bad. The prey all the time. I'm always like, you could do it. Oh, look at him dart. Look at him. Oh, he's good. You know, like uh, and, and they're running away, and most of the time it's okay, unless you're watching a different channel, then they always get eaten. That's always terrible. But the thing is, is that the predator oftentimes they won't just go for they won't just go for the mom or the dad if there's a baby around they're going to go for that baby why because it's easier to do that they don't have to fight as much they don't have to chase as much they don't have to exert, exert as much energy but what happens in what is incredible is that if something is going after the young like a mother's young that mother will step in even if that mother doesn't have very big of a chance at all of defeating whatever it is that's coming after them because that mom will step in that that mom will give its life before it lets something happen to its baby and that's exactly what moms do that's exactly the mentality behind the word contend. A mom will contend for her children and you will fight. And again, that definition wasn't, and see if this describes you moms, to exert intense effort on behalf of something, to struggle for, to defend, to protect from harm. Does that not describe you as a mother? And dads, I know you, you guys do that too. You're like, yeah, but there's something in a mom, all right? Where the dad's like, 
did you hear that noise? Go see what it is. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what dads do. Um, but I love that Paul, I love that Paul is a fighter in this though. I love that. Okay. In the book of Jude, there's a, a similar circumstances going on with that, that Paul's dealing with. Jude's dealing with people that are coming in, they're false teachers. And he's going to use the word contend here. And I want you guys to hear this scripture. All right. In the book of Jude in verse three, all right, false teachers coming in, false gospel, but listen to what he says and, and, and what we must do. Jude three, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share. He's like, I wanted to talk to you about something completely different. This is what he says. But now I find that I must write about something else urging you. This is the thing he's like, I've got to write to you about. I'm, I'm urging you to contend for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches and they're preaching a different gospel. And what Jude is saying is like, I'd love to be talking to you about something happy right now, like the salvation that we all possess, but I can't right now because there is false, there are false teachers that are infiltrating your church. And so now all I can do, the only thing I can do is beg you to contend for the faith because God has trusted you to contend for the faith. And he's entrusted you for all time to contend for the faith. He wants us to protect the gospel. He wants Christians to exert intense effort to protect the gospel. That is what he's called us to do. Like a mother protecting her child, God has entrusted you and I to make sure the gospel preached today is the same gospel that was preached then. He's given us that job. We are to protect the gospel, the one that's been handed down from Jesus himself. Somebody said one time, the greatest threat to Christianity is evangelicals right? You're like, okay, where's this going? The greatest threat to Christianity are evangelicals. And I thought about that. Whenever somebody said that, I was like, oh boy, here we go. And somebody's gonna, you know, somebody that's not a believer. But here's the thing, this guy was a believer. So I was like, where are you coming from, right? And here's this whole point behind the thing. The greatest threat to Christianity is evangelicals. What's an evangelical? An evangelical is someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. He's the only way to heaven, all right? And an evangelical is somebody who says, and I need, I need to tell other people about this, right? So they evangelize. They go and they tell other people about Christ because if he's the only way, then God has entrusted us to go and do that. So you get this name, uh, evangelicals. And here's what, he, here's what he meant by this, how they're the greatest threat to Christianity. We are called to contend for the faith. That's what we're called to do. And his whole point is, is that now we live in a culture where it's not okay to tell other people what you believe. Now we live in a culture that says, that's great for you. You believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And Christians, especially evangelicals, are buying into that. And so they walk around now where they used to go and they share Christ with people and they used to go and they tell people the good news about Christ. They used to follow the Great Commission. Now what people are doing is they're going, oh, but they really, I'm, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to go and I don't want to, I don't want to tell them, you know, that, I mean, and if, and if somebody I'm in a conversation and they believe one thing, that's great for them. If they ask me what I believe, okay, I'll tell them what I believe, but I'm not going to shove it down their throat. I'm not going to force it upon them. Right. Since when is telling anybody good news, forcing anything upon anybody? Good news is good news, but that's, but, but for some reason in our culture today, it's more like, Hey, you're forcing this down my throat. So here's, here's what he's saying. The greatest threat to Christianity is evangelicals because we've stopped contending for the faith. We've stopped doing that. 
And his whole point is it's basically like if a uh, if there's a country that's going to be invaded, they had an army. If the greatest enemy to that country is your own army, what does that mean? That means that whenever there's somebody who's coming and there's somebody approaching, you just lay down and you just go, well, we don't want to impose anything on you. You want to, okay, come on in, right? That would be a great threat to them. And that's what he's saying. Believers have stopped contending for the faith. But Jude here says, hey, guys, we have to contend for the faith because if we don't, who is? Is the gospel going to go extinct? I mean, not as long as we have the word of God, there's going to be somebody that picks it up and reads it and goes, holy cow, why haven't I seen this, right? But isn't it so amazing that God has entrusted you and I with the greatest news that has ever come into this whole entire world? He's entrusted us with that. So we get the opportunity to contend for the faith. And that is what Paul is doing here. The reason he's writing the book in the book of Galatians, the reason he's writing this letter to the church of Galatia is because Paul understands it's my job to contend for the faith. There are people who are coming in, they're worming their way in, and my job is to make sure they don't go astray. And my job is to call out the people who are the false teachers so that people will no longer follow them anymore. We are called to contend for the faith. If you look in scripture, a lot of writers wrote to protect the gospel. It's pretty amazing. Jesus himself spent time on earth contending for the faith and correcting beliefs that were incorrect. He said things like, you have, you have heard that it was said this, but I tell you this. And he was, he was repeating Jewish law. He was saying, the Jewish law and the teachers of the Jewish law have told you that this is what the scriptures mean. This is what the scriptures mean. Jesus himself contended for the faith. Believers throughout history have died protecting the truth of the gospel. Believers today in other countries are dying contending for the faith. We are called to contend for the faith. If there is anything worth protecting, it's the gospel, right? There's any, that's a good place for an amen. If there is anything worth protecting and contending for, it's the gospel, guys. That is something that is a privilege for us, all right? And I'm not talking about going up to people and being like, I heard you weren't a Christian, right? I'm, that's not contending for the faith. That's being a bully. Don't do that, all right? That's not your life, okay? That's not called contending for the faith. Um, but he writes with an urgency because of what's at stake. And he's astonished that they are turning away. He's amazed and in shock at how fast they are deserting, not only the true gospel, but who does it say that they are abandoning? I'm going to read the scripture again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. He's saying, you guys aren't just deserting the gospel. You're deserting God himself. Deserting the gospel is deserting the God who gave you that gospel. And then in verse seven, it says this, not that there is another one, right? He's not, he just had to call it something. He's like, I'm not saying that that is a gospel. That is not the gospel. There's only one gospel. So he's saying, not that I'm calling that a gospel, but there are some who trouble you. They're stirring up problems within them. There's some who trouble you, who want to distort. Everybody say distort. You, he, he's saying that they want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort right there could also be translated transform or pervert. He's saying there are people who are coming in to cause problems for you and they're perverting the gospel. They're twisting the gospel. And that means to take something and change it into something misleading. So they're taking the gospel and they're turning it into something that is misleading, all right? It's like the game of telephone, telephone. You guys ever play that whenever you were a kid? You even know what I'm talking about? 
Telephone, telephone. Yeah, it's like you, you, you whisper to somebody else, right? And then all of a sudden, you like have this original message and they give it to somebody else and then it goes down the line and by the end, it's like all distorted. It's all messed up. It wasn't even close to, you know, uh, what was originally intended. Here's something cool. Christianity is not a game of telephone, telephone. The Bible is not a game of telephone, telephone. And some people think that it is. Some people think that scripture is something that, oh, it's just been passed down, but it's been changed over time. If you will study like the copies of the original manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts that we have, if you will study them, you will see that what we have today written down is what was written down back then. You can be pretty confident. This isn't a game of telephone, telephone. There isn't like, oh, maybe Jesus said that, but possibly somebody's changed it along the lines. That's not it. God does not leave that for us. He gave us his word and the word that we read now is the word that was originally written down. And I'm so grateful for that. But let me tell you something. There is an enemy and his name is Satan. And the thing that he wants to do the most is twist the word of God. He wants to twist scripture. I know that we run around and we're just like, ah, I'm scared of Satan, right? And that's fine. But let me just tell you this also. If Satan ever shows up in front of you, you're doing something right because he's not omnipresent, <laughs> okay? He can't be where, everywhere at every time. So if you personally get a call from Satan or he shows up at your door, then be like, Wow, what an honor, you know, like, this is great. Thanks so much for showing up. And then you can kind of freak out. But, but the thing is, is that Satan, what he wants to do and what he wants his demons to do is he wants to twist, he wants to twist the word of God. He wants you to think of it as, as a little bit different. He's not gonna just straight say something totally opposite from it, although he, there are some people that will believe that. For believers, he wants to just take that, he wants to just twist it just a little bit so that you go, oh, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that is the Bible. Maybe, maybe that is something that's true, right? I'll give you some examples. Um, it happened in the Garden of Eden. What was, in, uh, what was it that God told Adam and Eve? He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one, right? You can eat from any tree in the garden. But I want you to listen to this. This is whenever Satan comes over to Eve. He's disguised as a serpent and he goes up to Eve. Listen to what he says. Genesis chapter three, verse one says this. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God say that? No, he said you can eat from every tree in the garden except one. But Satan just changes it a little bit. Does Satan know what God said? Does Satan know the word of God? Yeah, you guarantee he does. And so he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And he's like, I mean, it starts to just kind of, so a little bit of doubt into her mind. Well, no, he said, I can eat from every tree. I just can't eat from that one or we're going to die. He knows you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. You're going to become like him. You're going you're to become like, and, and so, and then it starts that slippery path. Whenever Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, says this, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, this is Satan talking to Jesus. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan just quoted scripture. Satan specifically quoted Psalm 91. That's what Satan just quoted. He knows the scripture and he's trying to use scripture against Jesus. He quoted it word for word, but where did he twist it up? Where did he twist that up? He took that scripture that was about trusting God and he turned it into a word about tempting God. That's pretty subtle. And you would miss that. 
But that scripture was supposed to be about us trusting him. And Satan said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to twist it just a little bit to see if I can get Jesus to tempt God. And he doesn't because Jesus is awesome. So Satan took those three words, messed it up. Satan has one objective as an entire existence, and it will always be the same objective, and that's to distort the true gospel. He wants to distort the true gospel. And all he needs to do is cause a little bit of doubt in our minds, and we can be led astray. We can be led astray from that. It will, th these things will come into our minds. Well, whenever we're reading scripture, or, or, or what some people will say, well, that was back in the day. Does that really apply to us now? right? That was ancient history. Does this really apply to us today in this century? Or this is an old book. You can't expect it to be relevant today. Or does the Bible, this is a big one. Does the Bible technically say this certain thing is ungodly? There's a little bit of gray area there, right? And so you start to fall into the same thing that Adam Eve fell into. And then all of a sudden we start to kind of walk away from it. It's a very, very slippery, slippery slope. And Satan's main objective is getting you to doubt the word of God. It always has been. It always will be. Because when you start to doubt it, your entire, when you start to doubt the word of God, your entire foundation starts to give out. That is the, that is the foundation of your faith is the word of God. And if you can get a crack in the word of God, then your entire foundation, everything on top is going to start crumbling. I'm telling you, it's a slippery slope because I know people personally. I personally know people who started to doubt the word of God. I personally know someone right now who decided, I don't think that the Bible actually means that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the Bible has been changed over time. And he's been listening to those voices and he's been looking things up online. And he's like, oh, yeah, these people back me up. Right. But he's only looking for the people that validate what he wants to believe. And so he's now, now he has no argument for the gospel at all. None. If he wants to go to somebody and he wants to say, Hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. If he doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God and it hasn't, there's, it's inerrant. Like there is no error in the word of God. If he doesn't believe that, then he has no right to preach it. Why? Because once you start thinking that the Bible has errors, then what's to be trusted? That's a crack in the foundation. Everything else is going to start crumbling at that point. So you have to believe that's a, that's a basic belief in Christianity that the word of God is inerrant and it can be trusted. It's infallible, right? But I want you to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read these verses about the truth of, of God's word. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. If you ever start to doubt scripture, these are truth scriptures. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse 28. Now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are truth. John chapter 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In Psalm 119, 105, I love this verse. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. You want to know how to get direction in anything in your life. It's the word of God. That's the light to your feet. That is the lamp into your path, of your path. And do not let a crack ever get into that foundation. Do not let the enemy twist scripture at all, at all. And I want you to hear what Paul writes also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And this is so relevant for today. So relevant for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says this, writing to them. Now, Corinth, by the way, is doing better in 2 Corinthians than they were doing in 1 Corinthians. This is a little more of a happy letter uh, than it was the first time. Um, but he says this, 
But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. It's like, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, you're, that, that, that it will be corrupted, your, your pure devotion to Christ. And then he says this, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up, and this is what he says, this is where they err, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your foundation is not built upon a rock. If your foundation is not rock solid, then, you're, then there's a possibility that anytime somebody says anything that kind of is a little bit convincing, you'll go that way. And that's what he's saying about them. He's like, you're not rooted. You're not grounded. You don't know why it is that you believe what you believe. You put your faith in Christ and he's given you the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, is that you're not rooted in it. So whenever somebody comes and it may sound great, it may be this really popular pastor that everybody just loves. Everybody, you know, claps for it. Their church is massive. Like it's just a humongous church. And this person's up there and he's preaching and he can slip in something that's just a little bit wrong. But you know, you don't see that because you're not rooted in the foundations that of why you believe what you believe. And all of a sudden we start, and that's what's going on in Galatia. They didn't have that foundation. One person walks in and they're like, hey, it can't just be grace. That's too easy. It has to be the law as well. It has to be. There's, you have to be, you, there's, you have to do something for your salvation. You, are you kidding me? You can just say a prayer and you can ask Jesus for salvation. He's just going to give it to you by grace alone. That's it. No, that can't be it. Right. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden people are like, well, actually that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we have been living in the law for a really long time. Why does the law exist? Surely we have to, you know what? I think they're right. They are, and you know, was Paul really an apostle? They're kind of, they're making a lot of sense here because their foundation wasn't secure. Listen, they didn't have the word of God, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't have the benefit of the doubt. We have the, we have the fullness of scripture. There's no reason that we have to go astray. So it's so important that we know why it is that we believe what we believe so that whenever Satan brings these false teachers in to say something that twists something to start distorting the gospel to where you go, oh, well, maybe it is Jesus. Yes, but maybe it's also, I have to be a good person too. Maybe it's also like I have to do more good things than bad things. Maybe it's, maybe I do have to go to church and I do have to do all of these things. And then that will lead to my salvation. I'm going to teach, and I taught you guys this math problem the other day. I'm going to teach you guys this math problem again. Okay. Maybe you guys can answer this question. Angela's a math teacher. This doesn't really have a lot to do with math, but still, it says plus and equals, so it's math. Um, Jesus plus something works church. To trust for your salvation, Jesus plus something equals what? Nothing. You cannot trust in anything else but Jesus Christ. But let's do this math equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's something that you can take to the bank. Don't ever listen to anybody that tells you that it's not just Jesus alone, that you have to do something else in order to be saved because it's just not true. The Bible very specifically says that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our works. Why? So that nobody can boast about it. We can't say a thing. We can't, what are those, what are those people marching around Jericho? 
What what can they say about their salvation? Nothing. What can we say about our salvation? Nothing. We didn't do a thing to gain it because we would boast in it if we could. Look at me. I'm gaining salvation because of this. We can't. It's just not possible. So we have to have a strong, strong foundation. We are to contend for the truth of the gospel. Always. True love tells the truth. The gospel is not a private matter. True love tells the truth. If you really love someone, you are going to tell them the truth. And the truth is the word of God. And the truth is how, it's not a private thing. It's not just a private thing. <laughs> how many of you guys are glad somebody told you about Jesus? <laughs> it ain't rocket science, right? I mean, that means we can be that for someone else. I'll bet, and, and let's just say this, this is totally off the cuff. Whoever it was that led you to Jesus, send him a text later. Start with the bread. No, I'm kidding. It's all bread. Just say, hey, thank you so much for leading me to Christ. Thank you so much for doing that because I get to be saved. And then we get to be that for somebody else as well. I got a letter in the mail the other day. I don't know if anybody else has gotten this letter. I think they're mailing it around to many people. Um, it was a letter from Jehovah's Witness. Has anybody received a letter yet in their mail, personal mail? This was a letter, not from like letterhead. We are Jehovah's Witness. This is our letter. I received a letter in the mail that was handwritten from a Jehovah's Witness. And, and, I, and I opened this thing up and I'm like, well, this is crazy. It's like somebody wrote me a letter. Who does that? <laughs> like nobody writes letters anymore. So I read, I read this letter and I'm reading it and it, I, I see who uh, it's from. But it, and I could tell it was like a little old lady's handwriting, right? Or a 12 year old son. But anyways, so, but I really, it was like, I think it was a, I think it was a little old lady's handwriting, right? And she was writing this down. And here's what she said. She said this, I just want you to know that I have personally prayed for every person in your household. I'm sure they don't know, you know specifically who we are because uh, it wasn't addressed to a name, it was just addressed to our apartment. I've personally prayed for everybody in your household during these really hard times. And just know that if you need anything, you're not alone and that we're here for you. From Jehovah's Witness. And then I look on our, our next door app and uh, the, one of the headlines is, is anybody getting these creepy letters from Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> it's in the Park Slope app. And, uh, and, and, and one person commented, you mean the one where the people are praying for you? Like, what part of creepy is that, right? That's not at all. But, uh, but to me, I sat there and that was, that was super convicting for me. Because I was like, here they are contending for a false gospel. Will I contend for the truth? Will I do it? I'm so glad Paul did. I know that the church in Galatia is extremely glad that he did. Will we do it? It's the most loving thing that we could possibly do. The most loving thing that we could possibly do, guys. I'm going to end with this. Let us not be fooled. These are the things we're going to walk away with. Let us not be fooled by a distorted gospel. All right? It's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's how we're saved. Let us be contenders for the gospel in a loving way. All right. Again, this isn't like I'm not firing you guys up so you can get out of here. But like, who here doesn't believe in God? Don't do that. All right. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.